morning, y'all. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm going to talk. <laughs> um, it's good to see y'all this morning. My name's Natalie, and I'm going to attempt to make some kind of commentary on uh, 2 Corinthians 11 today. Um, I am going to tell you, if you just want to quickly pray for me, that would be great. I've not been feeling well. had... Um, about a three-week illness with kidney stones, and um, I didn't really feel like studying, to be honest with you, (laughs) and I just had to kind of get it together in just the last few days. It was very much, so it is grace upon grace today. Um, Anyway, so you can think about that when I'm I'm going. I heard a story, I read a story, it was, I think it might have been in Jerry Bridges' Transforming Grace, but um, he was... I can't remember the exact particulars of it, but he was going to speak, and he had either circumstances had not either had not allowed him to prepare, or when they got there, they like switched gears on him and asked him to speak on something else. I don't remember the particulars, but he was like, "Dear Lord, <laughs> I mean, really." And he said it was the most powerful use of the Holy Spirit in his talking that he ever that he ever remembers. So we'll pray for that today. Um, let's do pray for just a minute. Ah! Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are thankful for the promise that you um, said when two or more are gathered in your name, um, you are with us and we thank you for that. We need you to show up in a big way today. Um, Father, um, there are so many things in this, in, in all of Second Corinthians, but in this, chap- this chapter 11 that um, speak to us. I think I could have written a, a book on it. Um, it's very hard to narrow, narrow things down, but um, I thank you for helping me with that. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that has guided me um, as I was um, writing about what I was going to say today. Um, may the truth be spoken and received here today. And Lord, if I say anything, anything that is not the truth, I do pray that we will strike it from our hearts and our minds. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, Doug. Let's, um, if you have Second Corinthians, are you going to pray that with me? Okay, hang on. So I don't have another accident. So that's a little music thing. Okay. 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 Does this have to be up here? Huh. Okay. It's, it's going to fall. Okay. All right. There we go. Maybe we've got it now. Okay. Let's look. I'm going to read a little bit out of second. We're going to read from Second Corinthians 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And then I'm going to pick up in 10 and read through 15. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine, a godly jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning... Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept 
a different gospel than the one you accepted. You put up with it readily enough. Now down to 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of, I have no idea how to say that, Acacia, is that how you say it? Acacia. And why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. And what I will do, I will, and what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those that would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And it is no surprise if his servants, those false apostles and deceitful workmen, that his servants also disguise themselves as serpents of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Those are some pretty powerful words there. I want you to look back at verse 3 when um, Paul is talking about the um, serpent deceiving Eve. And if you have your Bibles and you want to go to Genesis 3, um, 1, I'm going to read a couple, of, a few verses from that <clears throat> to kind of give us some insight on what's going on here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely. So this is what he's talking about. And he's saying, did God actually say? The serpent is already twisting the truth here because she tells him, I mean, before he even gets started, he's going, well, did God say that? And then she repeats, yes, well, this is what God really said. And then Satan calls God a liar. The father of lies calls God a liar. He twists and turns the truth. The irony and the evil of this is mind-blowing. You see his ways, don't you? It's not in your face, no. The enemy's more cunning than that. He dulls us and cons us and twists the truth to make his lies. Just as he knew what God had really said, she just repeated it to him. We know the truth, and we are very easily led astray. Why? Well, first of all, it is because Satan is very crafty and beguiling and deceitful. And secondly, because we are willing participants. We are sinners, and we are not grounded and immersed in truth. C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. This gradual way, a little of this, a little of that, in the name of love and charity and tolerance and unity, which are rightly applied, are all good things. But when twisted and contaminated, they lead us away from the true Jesus, the true gospel. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
I hear excuses all the time about why people don't think something's true or whatever they think is wrong. They say, oh, we just, we just don't understand that one rightly. Or maybe the translators got that one wrong. Or you ever hear this one? It's just a cultural thing. I mean, I believe in Jesus. But do you? Do you believe in the real Jesus? Or is it some fake Jesus that you conjured up in your mind? This is what Paul is warning us against. Listen to his words again. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And we did. What is this different Jesus, spirit, gospel? And how do we see this in our church today? I think there are many things that are very similar, and certainly Satan's ways are the same. He's always wanting to use imposters to, to try to spread his truth. They are disguised as angels of light. They boast that their mission is the same. You know, you, the, the preachers that you're going to think about when I'm talking about this, you, they, they would say that they are true believers in Jesus Christ and that they are preaching the gospel of Jesus. But they teach very different things, but they mix a little truth in it to make it sound very enticing. One of the things that I want to talk about that I think um, is going is, was going on in the church then and also in the church today is, do we contribute to our salvation? I watched a video that Ligonier Ministries did, and I, of all the people that they showed on the tape, I don't know if it was all the people that they actually interviewed, but all the people they showed on the tape, every one of them professed Christ. But as the interviewers' questions got narrower, their answers got broader. Most believe the Bible could be wrong. Most believe that Christ was a way, but not the way to God. And most believed man was inherently good. And that it was Christ plus their good works that earned them a spot in heaven. Let's talk about that a little bit. Is man inherently good, and what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, the Bible has to say the exact opposite. We talk around here about the doctrine of total depravity. This is the truth that man is neither willing nor able to merit God's favor by acts of righteousness. When I was studying, I ran across this site that had a pretty comprehensive verse list on total depravity, and I bookmarked it on my computer um, for all the times that I need to remind myself not to think too highly of myself. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell this website to you because I really think it is worth putting down. It's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to tell it to you just in case some of you want to write it down. It's Travis, T-R-A-V-I-S, Carden, C-A-R-D-E-N dot com slash total dash depravity dash verse dash list. And you can ask me about it later. Here are a few verses to remind us of our condition. Romans 5, 12 and 19. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Here's one you know. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Here's one. Second Chronicles 6.36. There is no one who does not sin. Isaiah 53.6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's in Jeremiah 17. And Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, man is evil apart from God. And he alone is able to take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh and cause him to walk in our ways. Without Christ, we are opposed to God. We can do nothing to save ourselves. No matter what you've been told, you cannot clean yourselves up and get right with God. It is God that does it. I went to Briarcrest a hundred and million years ago, and I, there's a lot of things that were good for my time at Briarcrest, many, many really great things. But one of the things that I think was detrimental in my walk with God that I, I'm still fleshing out in my Christian walk is you just get right with God. You just clean yourself up and get good and you do this and you're, you, know, you just need to get right with God. And that was being told in Briarcrest at Briarcrest in the 70s. And I, it's taking a long time, uh, 40 years, to undo some of that damage that I learned there. Um, and only through Christ's imputed righteousness can I have a relationship with God? That is the only way we can do it. And this isn't bad news. It is very, very, very good news. Because no effort on our part, none, would ever be good enough. But Christ, He is more than able. Okay, the second thing I want to talk to you about that I think is going on in the church today is prosperity gospel. Now, I know y'all are all rolling your eyes going, I'm a prosperity gospel. I've heard that till I'm blue in the face. I don't want to hear any more about the prosperity gospel. I don't believe it. I don't, that's fine. Put it in your mind. I don't believe it. But I'm wondering if that's really true if you get down to the heart of it. Because at the heart of the prosperity gospel is the idea that God owes us something wealth or happiness or health. Now, many, many of us would say, no, no, we don't believe it. But I think we might be embracing the idea of this in our own lives. This one, for instance. We've worked really hard. We went to college. We put in long hours. We did all these things. Surely, surely, God would bless me with financial stability. I mean, that's the least God could do. I mean, I, it wasn't like I was some kind of slacker or something. What about this one? I eat right. Well, I mean, I don't eat right, but those of you who do. <laughs> uh, I eat right. I exercise regularly. I get checkups. Surely, I deserve something for this. I mean, I shouldn't get heart disease or cancer or some debilitating illness. I take care of myself. Surely, God would allow me good health. Don't you think he owes me that? 
I think that's going on in the church today. What about this one? I'm moral. I don't go to sexually explicit movies or watch a bunch of crap on TV. My language, I mean, you know, I'm not a sailor. Um, I'm a good wife or a mom. And surely I deserve happiness. Surely God would bless me with obedient kids and a great marriage. Right? I mean, don't you think God owes me that? What about this one? Single women out here. I really want a husband. I desire a husband. I think I should get a husband. I'm a nice person. I mean, why, why wouldn't God give me a husband? I deserve it. I think these are all things that are going on in our church, in my life even today, that I need to think about. Let me tell you something. God doesn't owe me anything. The very fact that I'm not in hell today is his blessing being poured out in my life. And while we're on the subject of hell, Christ talked about hell twice as much as he talked about anything else, about heaven. They talked about heaven. And it's said that 13% of his sayings had to do with hell and judgment. It is real, and it is beyond awful. Here on earth, we have the pleasure of God's staying hand against evil. Hell enjoys no such grace. Without God's staying hand, all manner of evil abounds. The most horrible things your evil mind can think of exist in heaven. And Satan would love nothing better than to deceive you right into his house of horrors, apart from anything that is beautiful and lovely and good and apart from your beautiful Savior, Christ Jesus. Of course, as Christ, we need to remember that greater is he that is in me than is he that is in the world. And I think that's one comforting thing. Um, the final deception that I want to talk about, that it's not the only deception, not just three, these three deceptions that exist, but the third one that I want to talk about today is the idea that God speaks to you apart from his word. I think women are pretty prone to this. We love these beautiful words and these bloggers and these, these books that seem so spiritual and emotional and beautiful, and they're well-written, too, and they touch us. And we're prone to take these as, as truth without even finding out if it is truth. That's where we go wrong. We have to find for ourselves is truth. And where do we find that? Scripture. And we know that it is true. I can't remember who said this or even the exact words, but it was something like this. So many of you are crying out, wanting to hear a word from the Lord, and all you got to do is reach over and dust off that Bible on your nightstand. It's true. You want to hear from the word, a word from the Lord? Pick up that Bible. Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the next time you want your heart pierced, once again, pick up that Bible. I recently heard a story about R.C. Sproul going to a broadcaster, a Christian broadcaster's convention. It was this year, not that long ago, and his topic was sola scriptura. It was said that he so deftly defended the doctrine of scripture alone that people were almost in shock. You could hear a pin drop 
Their faces were awed. He also claimed in Scripture alone, one of the things about Scripture alone, it is that it's sufficient. It is true. It is reliable. It's pure. It's clean. And it is enduring. God proves himself over and over in his word. Again, you want to prove something to yourself about truth? Pick up that Bible. It is the only authority that we need. It was also said at that same convention, the very next speaker was a pastor from India. And he didn't speak about Scripture alone. He spoke about how the Lord had given him a word and told him to do this and told him to do that. And he was talking about himself, how he had a special connection to God. You see the difference, don't you? One man talking about what God said in the Bible that is available to all of us and another man talking about his special connection. I think this is what Paul's talking about here. They're commending themselves. We learned that last week. Um, And they have great ability to be these great orators. They're proud of themselves. And Paul is saying, don't be beguiled by this. Don't be beguiled. The scripture is the truth. I can't help but talk a little bit about this during Holy Week. How much Paul wants us to understand the true gospel. Christ crucified. Christ resurrected. The God-man who came to earth because of his great love for his own children. He lived sinlessly. He bared our sin upon the cross. He was justice that God required. He alone, he alone was the justice that God required. And then on that glorious Easter morning, he rose. Forever defeating death. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have had a plan from the beginning, that you knew our evil hearts, and that you provided a rescuer for us, a savior in your son, Christ Jesus. I hope that we go through Holy Week this week thinking about the great love that you have for your children and about the great cost um, that was required for us to be able to enjoy a relationship for you. Let's think of the gloriousness of the cross, but also think of the, the scandalousness of it and how, how much it cost both you and your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.